0: Today on episode number 221 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, DeRay McKesson shares about his new book, On the Other Side of Freedom, A Case for Hope. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Hello and welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches, so we can be even more present for our students and have more peace in our lives. Much has been written about teaching as activism. Maybe that word is not quite descriptive of your aim as a teacher, but we do all aspire toward influence, toward change. Our conversations on teaching in higher ed have often been about developing our abilities to offer more culturally responsive and culturally relevant teaching. Today's guest, DeRay McKesson, has been someone who's grown my ability to understand context, specifically within the lives of of many individuals fighting for racial and social justice and equity. I've been listening to DeRay's podcast, Pod Save the People, since its launch in May of 2017. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard me recommend Pod Save the People as a podcast as a whole, and then I cheat a little bit on the recommendations, then I start recommending specific episodes. It is one of those podcasts that moves to the top of my queue, and I just so look forward to getting to hear from him and his guests and regular contributors and them to help me take on a new pair of lenses for context that's so relevant to the work that I do as a professor. When I heard that DeRay was coming out with a book, I instantly had the aspiration of having him on the podcast, and I was so gratified when he accepted the invitation and he knew that today's conversation would become a reality. On the other side of freedom, A Case for Hope is the name of DeRay's book. It's relevant to our teaching in higher ed community for two reasons. As I Talked about earlier, the more we can understand the context in which some of our students engage, the better we can be effective in our teaching. When Gardner Campbell was on the podcast, he gave this illusion or analogy of zooming in and zooming out and helping his students do that as well. And DeRay really in his book zooms in and shares these incredibly gripping stories of his own experiences as a black gay man growing up and becoming engaged in activism during the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement. And then he's so, so gracefully zooms out to reveal how our, and this I'm quoting now from the book description, how our best efforts to combat injustice have been stunted by the belief that racism's wounds are history. And he suggests that intellectual purity has curtailed optimistic realism. Also still reading from the book description, the book offers a new framework and language for understanding the nature of oppression. With it, we can begin charting a course to dismantle the obvious and subtle structures that limit freedom. And I highly recommend the book. I, of course, invited him to come on the show before I had read it. And now that I have, I'm just so absolutely thrilled he's with us today. And before I get to my interview with DeRay, I want to share just a little bit more about him DeRay is a civil rights activist, community organizer, and host of Crooked Media's podcast, Pod Save the People. He started his career as an educator and came to prominence for his role in documenting the Ferguson protests and the movement they birthed and for publicly advocating for justice and accountability for the victims of police violence and the end of mass incarceration. DeRay has spoken at venues from the White House, to the Oxford Union, and universities, and has appeared on TV shows across the political spectrum. He was named number 11 on Fortune's World's Greatest Leaders List and Harvard's Black Man of the Year in 2016, among his many other accolades. A leading voice in the Black Lives Matter movement and the co-founder of Campaign Zero, a policy platform to end police violence. DeRay lives in Baltimore, Maryland. DeRay, welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed.
1: It is good to be here.
0: It is such an honor to be talking with you today. I just finished the book last night, and I can't wait to talk to someone about it, and you're the person, which is pretty surreal. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to begin at the end, and also end at the end of our conversation, the last chapter of your book a letter to an activist, and you address it to Sela and Isaac and others. And I'm curious who Sela and Isaac are. They are
1: my niece and nephew.
0: And why did they need to hear that letter to an activist?
1: Yeah, You know, the book is in general, it's me reflecting on the, the most important stories and experiences I've, I've lived through, and thinking about what were the lessons from them. And you know, who better to share them with than like the kids that are closest to me. But the whole book in in so many ways are like, here are the lessons I've learned, here it and I want to share them in a way that hopefully has you thinking differently or deeper.
0: You write that language is often our first act of resistance. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about how those who are engaged in the fight should talk about the work.
1: Uh, we should talk about the things that are true as simply as possible. So I always say that if I can't explain it to my aunt, then it doesn't make sense. Right. And not because my aunt's dumb, not because my aunt doesn't care, but she doesn't spend her whole day in front of a uh, CNN. So she she's like has two kids raised. She has a job, she's busy. And some of this stuff is like so intense the way we talk about it. that like, even I don't get, it. you know, I'm like, I I think about this stuff all day and I still don't understand it. And so if we can not actually figure out how to talk about it in, Terms that more people can understand will never win. And people need to be empowered, like start to dream about other things and other ways of being.
0: You write so powerfully about the work we must do of unlearning and how it's harder, you say, in some cases than the work of learning. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about ways, because it's such a simple question, (laughs) ways we can unlearn misogyny, homophobia, sexism, and all the rest of it.
1: The hardest part about the unlearning is is less, I think, sometimes the cognitive work. It's like saying like, oh, I'll give you our bad. Like you can actually do that relatively easily. It's actually changing the behavior that came along with the belief that's a little bit harder. So it's one thing to not be homophobic anymore. It's another thing to not use that language that you use your entire life that is actually homophobic, but you're just used to it, right? You're used to participating in conversations where you like make fun of guys who did that, like, There's, like, a part of that that became just so normal for you, and that is where the unlearning takes work for people across a host of things. Like, you now say you respect women, but you are, like, used to catcalling people, and it's like, you just can't do that anymore. You know what I mean? But you you did it for so long, and it's so acceptable in so many parts of our culture that you suddenly feel like you're rebelling against society for not catcalling women. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the unlearning piece is about recognizing the things that we participated in that aren't productive, and then changing our behavior uh, and our beliefs.
0: And could you help us distinguish whiteness versus white people and how that might inform the work as well?
1: Yeah, I am not really think about it as versus, but it's just mm-hmm. understanding what is the personal and what's the systemic. So we think about white supremacy is this idea that White is better, white is normative, white uh, is more worthy. We think about whiteness as the culture that that spawns. Um, So dominant culture, what does that look like? Like, what does it mean that white people have wealth in ways that people of color don't? Not that white people worked harder, but because uh, we gave white people wealth at scale in a way that was deeply racist, but there's a culture that exists now uh, that is what we call whiteness that is synonymous with dominant culture at this point. And then there are people, so they are white people. Uh, and we, we understand them differently just so we know like where the points of entry are and where the points of change are. Is the way we work to change people is different than the way that we work to change systems is different than the way that we work to end depression?
0: Describe the problematic nature of the concept of allies and the term that you prefer that people aspire to. Yeah, so both allies and accomplices are
1: productive. Like, they help us move towards both sort of understand that there's injustice and we should do something about it. Allies sort of love you from a distance, and they're like, oh, this is bad. Mm -hmm. And, like, something should be done about it. Accomplices love you up close. So they are the people who, like, not only understand their personal privilege, but they understand what they need to do uh, to change the system from allowing that privilege to exist in the first place. And that's really the difference. You see a lot of people who have the language, they talk a good game, and you're like, well, what are you doing? They're like, what do you mean I'm talking about it? Well, that's actually the beginning of the work, right? That's not the end of the work. The awareness is the beginning, not the end. Accomplices understand that better.
0: I'd like to go back to the end again. And one of the things you're able to do so wonderfully well is just to recognize the complexity of this work. And yet, you don't just say it's complex. So I'll wash my hands of it. But you actually give us some prescriptions. You're bold enough to do that. And one of the things that you share about is proximity's role in answering part of the question: What can I do? Could you talk about proximity? Yeah,
1: you know, you can't fight for people you don't know, and you can't work on issues you don't understand. And there's no better way to to know people and to understand issues and to be close to them. So there's no way to do this work without having proximity to the work itself. So that people who are like, I believe in that, I believe in the end of mass incarceration. It's like, well, talk to me about what that means. And they're like, well, I believe in the end of mass incarceration. It's like, that's actually not helpful, right? You got to be close to it in some way. You just gotta understand it or know it or have done some research so that you can actually be productive. And the same thing with people. they like, there are people who are like, I fight for kids. It's like, well, how do you, what kids, like, how do you know any kids? Are you around any kids? Like. Uh, it doesn't work when all of this stuff is just abstract because we don't live in the abstract. So there are people I know who have like, who say they fight for public education and have never been in a public school before. It's like, well, what are you, how are you doing that fight? That doesn't actually make sense. Um, You've got to be close enough to understand the work and the people well.
0: And my last question before we get to the recommendations segment is about curiosity. I loved your use of the phrase curiosity as a weapon, (laughs) and I've never heard that before. And could you describe a little bit around curiosity's connection to imagination and how we might use it in the fight?
1: Yeah, we just got to ask the questions. You know, we got to, the world we live in today is not the best version of the world that's possible. And we'll never get to the other side of freedom if we don't start to imagine and start to be curious and about like what could be. So what are other ways that we can configure public education? How could we make sure, you know, there's enough food in the country for everybody? How do we make sure, how do we how do we get it to them? Like, what is it what does that look like? You know, I think that there are a lot of people who think that there is like a smart set of people somewhere figuring out everything with the world and like those people don't exist. We are those people. And I want to normalize the fact that we can sit down at the dinner tables and start to have these conversations. Like That's the way any good organizing has ever started. It's like a couple people dreaming a big dream, asking the tough questions that get us to some real action.
0: And what are a few things that you have just had your your curiosity peaked about recently?
1: Oh, um, so much. So like yeah. on one of the podcast episodes... We did this thing I covered uh, oral health because I read a story about dentists in, in rural communities, and I just wanted to understand it better. So uh, so that was one. I learned a ton about that. I just did something on lead, um, mostly around Flint, but I didn't know things like, you know, lead, lead is sweet. So that's one of the reasons why kids ate lead paint, because it's just sweet. So a ton of things. Foster care, we're about to do something on foster care, the racial wealth gap, like a whole host of things. And, you know, the podcast that I have, we podcast the people. It doesn't follow the news so much as it follows these issues. So there are all these issues that I care about, that I feel like I don't know much about, that I want to know more about, that I think people should know about. But I try to use my platform to, like, be that curious person in public.
0: Well, one of the things I've noticed you doing is I, I listen to both of those episodes you're referring to, and I'll also link to them in the show notes. But you are helping to arm others to become more curious, too, because I hadn't really thought before about oral health. And then you interviewed those couple of women. And now I'm just thinking about it all the time and realizing some of the privilege I have in those areas as well. So that was just a, a, it's wonderful to think about how not only is curiosity your weapon, but you're passing that and igniting it in others. So thank you so much for, for that. And, it's almost time for the recommendations segment. But before we get there, I wanted to just thank this episode's sponsor, and that is Text Expander. You've heard me talk about Text Expander many times before. It is often the first thing I install on a new computer. It's definitely in the top three. And what it does is you can just type in a few characters and then allow it to spit out either a bunch of text or a little bit of text that you have a hard time remembering. Like I never remember my work phone number. And so I can just type in Z phone and it will type out my work phone number without me having to remember it. I use it all the time and it syncs across all my devices. So I've got it on multiple computers and it's on multiple devices, the phone, the tablet, it all syncs across and it's absolutely wonderful. And you can actually use it in team environments as well. If you want to have common email responses that get sent out and you can even customize it where it prompts you to fill in the blanks where it says, you know, what, what, uh, do you want this email to be addressed as like dear so-and-so? I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with it. It's easy to get in, get started with it. And then you can just learn more about it as you go and keep getting, more and more of your time saved and really simplify things. So if you would like to get 20% off your first year of Text Expander, you can visit TextExpander.com slash podcast, and then select Teaching in Higher Ed as how you found out about it. And that'll again, get you 20% off your first year. That's at TextExpander.com slash podcast. That link will also be in the show notes to make it even easier for you as well. This is the point in the show when we get to each give recommendations. I'd like to recommend this book that you have written, and it's called On the Other Side of Freedom, and it is just an absolute wonderful read. And as I was writing my review of it on Goodreads, I came across, just because what I needed was more books to read, (laughs) on Goodreads, there's a Listopia, Books of the Pod And Crooked Media is the brand that Pod Save the People is um, part of, and they have other podcasts as well. And so this is a list of books either written by or mentioned by the hosts or guests on any of the Crooked Media podcasts, Pod Save the People, Pod Save the World, Pod Save America, et cetera. And it's just a list of amazing books. I saw that I had read 10 of them. I have a lot longer to go, and I can have a lot that I can discover from taking a look at that list. So I'll link to that in the show notes. And Ray... To close our time here together, I'm going to pass it over to you to make whatever recommendations you would like to, something that's had your attention in recent weeks.
1: There's a song called Slow It Down by, I think his name is Zai. And I love it. I'm obsessed with it. It's Z-A-I-A. That's my recommendation.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, we will link to that in the show notes. And Dere, thank you so much for all of your work, for this incredible book, and just for the opportunity to speak with you today.
1: Thank you. Talk to you later.
0: Talk to you later. What an opportunity it was to get to talk to DeRay McKesson. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And thanks to all of you for listening. I just took a little break from recording to go listen to that song that DeRay recommended, Slow It Down. Gotta go to the show notes at teachinginhighered.com slash 221 and check it out. It's a great song. It's going to be stuck in my head for at least the rest of the today, if not into the weekend. So thanks, DeRay, for that. And now to put an entirely different song into my head and into yours, (laughs) the closing theme music, which I know is either loved or hated by many of you, mostly loved, but a few of you, I know, I still think about you. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for listening. If you have been listening for a while and have yet to give the show a rating or a review on whatever podcast app it is you listen to the show on that would be a wonderful way of spreading the news about the show i just discovered that i listen on overcast it's an ios app it's a great great app for listening to podcasts you can just press the star right there on your phone while you're listening to an episode and it recommends it. In fact, if you have an Apple Watch, you can even press the star on your Apple Watch. So how much easier could it be to give a nice review for the podcast that you enjoy? Thanks for listening and I'll look forward to seeing you next time. We've got some great guests coming up. Keep on listening. Take care.